Girl said you hallelujah. Girl said you hallelujah. Girl said you hallelujah. Cause uptown funk don't give it to you. Cause uptown funk don't give it to you. Cause uptown funk don't give it to you. Saturday night and we in the spot. Don't believe me, just watch. Alright, the off band. Here we go. Week three of the Softy Hawk Blogger video chat slash podcast slash let me hang out in my office before I even take a shower thingamajigger. Uh, I'm not sure what Brian's got going on behind him there with that really cool Seahawk logo, man. How do you pull that off? That That is dope, man. How do you put, how did you do that? It is incredible. Yeah, dude. It's, it's, uh, it's all part of this, uh, this zoom meeting platform. It's pretty cool. And for whatever reason, I'm the only one that's able to do it. When the other guys have tried it, <laughs> it looks like it, like it goes all crazy on them. So yeah, I, I can like, I can change, you know, where do you want me to be, Dave? You want me to be uh, in CenturyLink Field? I'm in CenturyLink Field. Oh, look at that. You know, wow. different views. You know, you want me to be on the field with Bobby Wagner? There I am. <laughs> all right there. How about, how about, how about we put you on the beach in Maui? How's that? Can you pull that off? I can't quite pull that off. I mean, San Francisco. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Or orbiting about, the planet. How about this? How about you put us in Miami for the Super Bowl? Can you do that? Let's start there. Yeah. Because I tell you what, man, that's uh, all of a sudden, that's kind of like the conversation that Seahawks fans are having now. It's like these guys should be 4-0, not to put the cart before the horse. And I agree with what you said on Twitter today that I think this game against the Saints on Sunday is going to be closer than people think. I think the Hawks will win, but I don't think it'll be a blowout that some people are expecting. I mean, the line has swung six points. The Saints were a point-and-a-half favorite. Now the Seahawks are four-and-a-half-point favorites, so that shows you the effect of, of Drew Brees. But, look, I mean, 4-0, they've only been 4-0 once in franchise history, and that was the year they won the whole thing in 2013. And even not very often that these guys, Brian, are 3-0. I mean, I think before the 2013 season, their last 3-0 season was 2006, 2007, whatever year it was. And I remember mm-hmm. growing up as a kid, Seahawks beat the Patriots in the mid-80s and went to 3-0, and and that was a huge deal for us. So even 3-0 and doesn't happen very often. No, and, and how many times have we criticized Pete Carroll for his uh, not how you start, it's how you finish, and seeing him not start well, whether it's in a game or a season or, you know, whatever, even a, a series, the first downs that, you know, play calling. So – I think that, that, you know, they have not been as pretty as we would hope. And I don't know that Cincinnati or Pittsburgh are particularly good teams. But yeah. two wins in two weeks is two wins in yeah. two weeks. And, and we haven't always done that. We've lost to bad teams in the first two weeks of the season before. Absolutely. No question about that. Um, I remember even in 2005, the year the Hawks went, they got up to a slower start that year, you know, 14 years ago. So, look, I think that gaining confidence is, is important. I think that, you know, developing playmakers is important. And here's the thing. I mean, I, I, I look at this Seahawks football team and I see a team after 2-0 and that you mentioned who they played. Well, I don't think that they have played particularly their best football yet. They didn't play great in the first half of that game, at least offensively on Sunday versus Pittsburgh. We know that. Defensively, I thought they were fine the entire game, except for that one big long drive allowed to Mason Rudolph. I mean, people forget that without those two Carson fumbles on Sunday, Pittsburgh's not even breathing. I mean, mm-hmm. the Seahawks dominated this game against Pittsburgh on Sunday. So we can sit here and say, yeah, they still haven't played their best football yet. Yeah, they're still missing some pieces on defense, especially on that defensive front, like Reed, like Ansa. But they did what good teams are supposed to do. If Pittsburgh really is not the Pittsburgh Steelers that we've come to know, 
and they're taking a step back. Even maybe with Ben, they would have taken a step back this year. If you're right about that. And the Seahawks did what good teams are supposed to do. They went in there and they statistically manhandled the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. And the only reason why they were even in the goddamn game in the first place, excuse my language, is because the Seahawks allowed them to be in the game. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, I'm curious what you're most encouraged by in that game. I mean, for, for me, I look at the second half offense and I see yep. they have one three and out to start the second half and then they go touchdown, 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 yep. fumble, and then run out the clock. I mean, I thought offensively they were – they. They did stuff that they have not shown that they're willing to do from a coaching staff perspective yep. yet. Yep. And uh, it looked repeatable to me. So that was the thing that encouraged me most. How about you? I think their downfield passing game without really having a ton of threats is starting to come alive, man. I mean, let's face it. The only real threats they've got are DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And DK Metcalf would be typically the only threat you would talk about because of his speed and because of his size. I mean, Tyler Lockett is just a wily veteran now that knows how to get in position to either make a catch or draw a uh, pass interference call. I do find it interesting, though, that without this new rule that allows coaches to challenge PIs, the Seahawks may have lost that game on Sunday because of that mm. PI call on Tyler Lockett. I mean, the first one on Michael Kendricks, I thought, was kind of a risky move by Pete Carroll. But, hey, you know what? First half, kind of feel out the officials, see what you can get away with, see what you can't get away with. And then, pow, in the second half, when you get the second chance, you know, maybe feel like, hey, after what I saw in the first half, I feel more comfortable throwing the flag now. But I wonder without that new rule, would the Seahawks have even won that game on Sunday despite dominating them physically or, excuse me, statistically? The Bengal game was the exact opposite. The Bengals dominated the box score, but the Seahawks won the game. So now we have two wins in two different ways. I think the downfield passing game has been maybe the most encouraging. And then second for me, I think this tight end room is better than people think. I mean, I think everybody knows about Will Disley based on the production he was putting up last year before he got banged up. But the back-to-back -back plays down the seam before that touchdown to Will, uh, right down the middle, that, that was a thing of beauty, man. And you remember Jeremy Stevens, how despite the fact that he was a total freaking knucklehead when he was here, he used to own the seam. And I talked to both Will Disley and Nick Vanette uh, for interviews that we're going to run today on the radio show. And both of them talked about the seam kind of being their domain. They have no problem going down the middle of the field. They want to own the middle. So you saw that on back-to-back -back plays. And if they start condensing the defense like that, that's going to mean great things for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So I think the tight end room and the downfield passing game really have been encouraging to me. And then you mentioned one thing, too, I want to comment on real quick. Sorry to hog the mic here for a second. You mentioned the Seahawks' ability to kind of adapt a little bit and change things around. Hey, they found out in the first half of that game Sunday that they were going to get nothing from the right side of their offensive line. So what they do? They went away from it in the second half, and they were able to win the game. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think it's huge. And, and uh, I think you're right about the tight ends. I do think it's going to be interesting um, when Ed Dixon's eligible to come back from IR. I think yeah. – as much as Nick Vanette had a really big catch in that game, he has been a disaster blocking. Uh, he's been he's been Effetti like uh, in pass protection. So, you know, <laughs> he's sorry, I just spit my coffee up all over yeah, my dude, he's, he's not been good, and yeah. and that's that's an issue. But um, one thing I do want to touch on what you said. Uh, we as Seahawks fans, I think, often feel like we get the short end of the stick when it comes to to whistles and flags, um, and I think that there's been a reason for that. But you look in the first two weeks, the Seahawks have been the beneficiary of some pretty questionable calls. Yeah. Last last play of the Bengals game, when they called that a fumble, even after review, yeah. I still don't exactly understand how that wasn't an incomplete pass. 
Uh, you've got that pass interference call that certainly was debatable. Um, you know, even the the call that we got when we made the field goal and they they called personal foul for you know roughing the the long snapper. Yeah, we can't do that anymore. You can't, but it, it you know it, I'm sure it goes uncalled plenty of times. That was a touchdown difference in that game. So yeah, yeah. I mean I think the Seahawks have have benefited from some at least borderline calls and um i was it's, it's worth calling those things out to not feel like there's a huge conspiracy theory, uh, uh, against seattle well i first of all I, I totally agree with you and i said the same thing yesterday to coach holmgren that hey look um the seahawks are going to be on the other end of that at some point this year right there's no question about it so all this is going to even out by the time the year is over i think i mean hopefully they won't be too far on one side of the ledger or the other but the pi call against lockett uh, in the steeler game I don't think anybody would have been shocked if the officials looked at that and said no pass interference call. And then the fumble on 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 Dalton uh, or the inter, the uh, uh, was a fumble. The they called it a fumble. That was rule of yeah. fumble. That I said that last week. I'll say it again. That that was a horse crap call. And the Seahawks benefited from that big time. There's no question that was an incomplete pass. Not even close. Anybody with a functioning brain that would look at that would say, all right, that is the dictionary definition of an incomplete pass. But I think the problem with these PI calls is that in the end, this is not a black and white issue. This is always going to be a gray area because it's always going to be a judgment call. Somebody somewhere, whether at the stadium in New York, in a live on the internet, is going to have to look at that and decide using their best judgment if it is a pass interference call. This is not like a guy jumping off sides or a guy lining up in the neutral zone or whether a guy is out of bounds or not, whether a guy got a foot in in the back of the end zone, blah, blah, blah. Not about marking a football. This is always, always, always going to be a judgment call. So I thought it was kind of ticky tack, the play on Lockett, to be honest with you. I mean, what we don't know is how much that left hand kind of spun him around on that one play. That's hard to tell. But I think if you're Pete Carroll and you have a challenge left and you're willing to burn it, I mean, hey, you know what? Be smart about it. Be strategic about when you use them. I think so far, Pete Carroll's challenge uh, approach has been kind of paying off for these guys. Yeah, I got to ask you about, so it looks like the Seahawks are going to get three guys back this week. It looks like Ziggy yeah. Ansa, it looks like David yeah. Moore, and probably <laughs> Puna Ford. I think he's yeah. maybe the most questionable. I assume Ziggy Ansa is the guy you're most looking forward to seeing um, come, you know, for, for first debut. Uh, mm. Do you have any expectations for David Moore? What's, what's your David Moore point of view? David Moore is an interesting case study because he had that four-game stretch last year where he was a maniac and didn't do a lot outside of the four-game stretch, but he did have the four-game stretch. He did show you potentially what he can be. It's like when you and I are playing golf together. We go out and we shoot a 55 on the front nine, but a 41 on the back nine. I had a round last week where I literally did that. I shot 54 on the front. And I shot a 41 on the back. And I'm telling myself, okay, I know I can suck on the golf course, but now I know I got it in me. It's in my bag of tricks to go out there and shoot a 41 on the back nine. So we can poo-poo all we want that little three or four game stretch by David Moore and say, well, it was just three or four games. Didn't mean a lot because he wasn't able to back it up. First of all, he was getting his first real playing time in the NFL last year. And then number two, it did show you that the ability to do something like that is there. I think a guy like Jazz Ferguson, for example, never had that ability. A guy like Chris Matthews, for example, may have never had that ability. Uh, David Moore, I think, has it. The question is, can they get it out of him consistently? 
can they put him in positions to win? And the best thing for David Moore, honestly, maybe being on the field the same time as a guy like DK Metcalf, because he's going to help him out tremendously. So I'm excited for him to come back, man. You mentioned Ziggy Ansah. Look, you know, I'm very curious to see what we get from this guy. All my buddies in Detroit are telling me that you're going to get nothing out of him. Florio <laughs> was on the air Tuesday and said, uh, whatever you get out of him is a bonus. He's 30 years old, yada, yada, yada. He's going to be banged up. Two years ago, he played in 13 games, had two sacks. He's challenging injuries the entire year. And then last year, missed a bunch of games. Well, last year is the only reason why he was available for crying out loud to come to Seattle as a free agent. So I think just like David Moore playing alongside DK Metcalf, Ziggy Ansah being on the field as the, at the same time as Jadeveon Clowney and maybe even the same time as Quentin Jefferson, if they move Clowney inside on passing downs, that's going to benefit him tremendously. I think the depth on this defensive line right now, Brian, is as good as it's been in six years, going back to 2013, for sure. I think I think that's a great point. And I mean, we still have Jaron Reed to look forward to coming back in, you know, three, four weeks from now. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that's going to be – I'm really curious about so they've, they've been the expectations they're going to play Clowney and Ansa on opposite sides of the line right right, so right. Yep. we also saw Clowney line up um, over guard in this game in Pittsburgh and, and standing up imagine Clowney and Ansa right next to each other yep. and what is that going to look like for yep. the opposing offensive line I, I think that could be really interesting and it could also open up you know if they do something like that they can bring Michael Kendricks off a of blitz on the other side. That offensive yep. line is going to have a lot to be thinking about. And yep. it's been a really, really long time since the Seahawks had a scary pass rush. I mean, I think the scariest pass rush I remember the Seahawks ever having was really like late 90s when uh, – what was the defensive coordinator? He's a linebacker coach who went became the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. And uh, he was just – he was blitz happy. That's back when we had Sean Springs and we had Chad Brown. Yep. And uh, that whole crew, I think his name was Jim Johnson. I want to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we used to just bring blitzes from all over the place and and just really wreak havoc on opponents and uh, cause lots of turnovers. I'm really hopeful that this team can start to be – I feel like they're on the cusp. And I don't know if you heard it, but Pete Carroll this week, I haven't heard him that excited. He was talking about <laughs> – I heard him this excited in a long time. He was talking about – that he really feels like they're onto something with the linebackers. They yeah. feel like they've seen something that they haven't seen for a few years in terms of how to utilize them. And he even, someone compared, you know, do they think Michael Kendricks is a little like Cam Chancellor? And mm. he, he said, yeah, you know, that that's actually not a bad comparison in terms of how they're thinking about using him, you know, as basically a large safety down yeah. in the box and, and, you know, attacking the line of scrimmage. So, I just I'm excited to see what these parts are going to look like as they come together and and uh, uh, yeah I, I think definitely pass rush is a big thing and then the David Moore piece just one quick thing there yeah I I don't think he's the best thing since sliced bread for sure but there's there's like there's almost like a CJ Procise level of uh, animosity toward the guy like that he had a, you know 50 percent catch rate last yeah. year there's no good I don't sense that. I don't, I don't get it. The guy's like his second year. Golden Tate didn't do anything in his first or second year. It yeah. took a while for receivers to develop. And I put out there the list of receivers for the Seahawks that are 23 or younger that have had five touchdowns in the first two seasons. It's guys like Steve Largent, Daryl Turner, Brian Blades, uh, uh, Daryl Jackson, right. Tyler Lockett. I mean, David Moore. There's not many like Corin Robinson's the other one. Like, I mean, these are all pretty damn good receivers. So, 
I think David Moore, you said it really well with DK Lockett or uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Yeah, I like that threesome a lot more than Jaron Brown being out there. Yeah, I don't sense the animosity towards David Moore that you do. But then again, I don't hang around the murky, dark parts of the Internet the way you do. Uh, talking to unknown voices, uh, anonymous voices, uh, getting their thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, David Moore, I think maybe the apprehension towards him is that he hasn't played a lot. He was hurt and went to a really small school that nobody ever heard of in Oklahoma, undrafted, blah, 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 or late round draft pick, all that stuff. So I just think in the end, um, there's just kind of a skepticism about players like that, you know, that there is. I mean, look, what they did with Jermaine Curse and Doug Baldwin getting two undrafted free agents to pop the way they did. That's almost unheard of in the NFL, right? To have two guys like that, uh, that came in roughly the same time. So I, I think there's just still some kind of real skepticism about David Moore. TJ Prosize, I just think people are kind of getting tired of hearing about it, right? I mean, you've been high on his talent forever. The Seahawks, obviously, as well, have been high on his talent. Otherwise, they would have cut the guy. But here we are, and it's, you know, week three of the season, and we're not seeing much still from C.J. Prosize. I mean, it's hard to get on the field, obviously, for him with the running backs and the wide receivers that they've got. But I just think people are so tired of just hearing about the potential, the potential, the potential. Hey, let's let, let's see it. Let's let's crap or get off the pot already with this guy. So uh, I just, just I mean, it, it, going back to the defense for a second, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I would compare Michael Kendricks and Cam Chancellor because they're two totally different looking guys. And one guy's 6'3", 240, another guy's 5'11", 225. I mean, Cam Chancellor would be knocking the piss out of tight ends going across the middle. Uh, obviously, Demarius Thomas in the Super Bowl is one hit that comes to mind. But I don't see Kendricks playing that role. But I, I do play – I do see Michael Kendricks doing a better job maybe off the edge in the run game and maybe also on the blitz packages getting to people. And he's going to play a lot. I mean, they're, they're like a nickel the last couple games has been stunning. For what they do i'm not saying it's the wrong thing at all i mean trust me if this is the if this is the way this defense is constructed and they're going to play to their strengths then go for it but there's a ball club that in the carol schneider era has played what 65 percent plus nickel whatever that number is the last eight or nine years and now they're like under 35 40 percent even in the first two games of the year if not lower than that so the fact that you can get all three of these guys on the field together at the same time and have all those guys coming after the quarterback is potentially really scary. And then, hey, let's see, man, if we can add a guy to that secondary, like a Jalen Ramsey or like a Jamal Adams, I mean, I'm sitting here just kind of losing my shit over this, man, thinking, oh, my God, they would have a superstar at every level of their defense if they went out and got a player like that. I'm not planning on it. I'm not counting on it. I don't think it's going to happen because those guys are so few and far between. I think the market's going to be ridiculous and we'll probably outprice the Seahawks when it's all said and done. But I'm dreaming, Brian, about adding a player like that to this secondary and how good these guys could be. Yeah, it, it's a shame they weren't able to get the Minka Fitzpatrick thing done. It's a little oh, odd that perfect. A little odd that that Pittsburgh was the team that did it, given the season yeah. expected to have, but. Yeah, look, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers first round pick next year is definitely going to be higher than the Seahawks, the way things are looking. So, right. Uh, and, and he's got four years on his deal. So for Pitt, I mean, three and a half years after this year. So for Pittsburgh, it makes sense. Yes, he's not going to really do much for them this year because Big Ben's out and they're probably not going to be a playoff team. But then Big Ben comes back and they got him for three more years, two years plus the option. The issue, not to interrupt you, with, with, yeah. with, with Pittsburgh that I would be concerned about, Big Ben's going to be 38 years old next season. And he has not been the same quarterback he's been. He's been banged up. So well, that's, that's you, my point. That's my point is, yeah. is I get Fitzpatrick's a fine player, but you trade to what very well could be a top 10 pick next year. Right. 
totally that good of a player for Pittsburgh? Like, would is. you rather be drafting like a quarterback or, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, a, it, that was a little bit surprising to me. I think Mika Fitzpatrick was a low twenties first round pick kind of guy, which would the yeah. CX would have given up. So I hear you on adding to the secondary. I don't, I don't expect it to happen. And mm. I, I look at this game this week, four point spread, uh, yeah. Seattle favored, uh, you know, you know, that they usually do a star rating for, for picks and, uh, yeah. You know, I think Seattle's the obvious pick for this, but I think it's 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 not obvious to me that this is more than a, a two-star rating on that pick. You know, I think yeah. uh, it could be closer than people expect. Well, I think it's a win for the Hawks. Uh, I think I think early fourth quarter, mid-fourth quarter, this will probably be a game. I don't think the Hawks will take the field with 10 minutes to go in the game and have a comfortable double-digit-plus lead. I could see the Saints kind of hanging around because I think their defense is, is actually pretty good when it's all said and done. They didn't show that in the first week against the Texans, obviously, but the Texans may have a bit more weapons than the Seahawks do. And uh, look, I mean, I think the bottom line for these guys is that you're looking at probably a lower scoring game. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, everybody wants to, you know, kind of freak out about Teddy Bridgewater. Well, Teddy Bridgewater might be pretty No, Teddy Bridgewater is not good. Okay. Teddy Bridgewater at this point of his career is what he is. All right. There's a reason why the only uh, starting job he got offered was with the freaking dolphins for God's sakes. And for him, that was the right call to turn that down because now he's starting in New Orleans, obviously. But I think Teddy Bridgewater, you faced him in Minnesota in that playoff game a couple years ago, and he was awful. I mean, I, I mean, the weather obviously was a major factor in that game for both sides. But I don't look at Teddy Bridgewater as a major, major difference maker in this game. The question I've got is Alvin Kamara. The question I got is Taysom Hill on third down and short. Where do they use Taysom Hill? I mean, Taysom Hill is a load, man. On third down and two, third down and one to move the chains, to have a weapon like that, to move the chains from the wildcat position. And it's so funny because they put – I've seen the Saints play a lot, um, even that Monday night game against the Texans earlier this year, and they'll put Taysom Hill in the backfield at quarterback for a wildcat-type situation. Everybody knows what's coming, and they can't stop it. It's absolutely incredible. It, it kind of reminds me of what the Seahawks used to do with Marshawn Lynch, where they would say, hey, we're going to run the ball. We know that you know that we know that you know we're going to run the ball. Try and stop us. And they couldn't stop them because they had that great offensive line and one of the most you know, physical backs in the history of the NFL. So can they slow down Taysom Hill? Can they get in the backfield? And I think Clowney is going to play a major role in that regard in this game on Sunday because you said it earlier, and you're exactly right, dude. Putting Clowney on the interior over the guard – in this game, when they go to a guy like Taysom Hill on third and short, I love the idea of Jadeveon Clowney against Taysom Hill in that kind of a matchup because we tend to forget people look at Clowney and they see a pass rusher. He's one of the better run-stopping defensive ends in the NFL. This is one of the reasons why you got him for exactly this kind of game. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know about you, dude, but I'm certainly going to be more nervous when Taysom Hill's in the backfield than when Teddy Bridgewater's in the Of backfield. course, of course. And uh, I I can't believe that Taysom Hill's 29. I hadn't right. I didn't realize that until uh until earlier this week. So hey, well, he, well, he went uh, to BYU, so he was 26 when he graduated. Yeah, exactly. There's that. there's that whole uh, that whole life. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming coming on again this week, Softy. Uh, appreciate appreciate yeah, no that. Problem. I'll see you uh, see you pregame maybe uh, on Sunday. And for folks that haven't already, uh, please sign up at Patreon.com/slash/HawkBlogger. Uh, we crossed the the hundred patron threshold this week. So nice, awesome. congratulations! Yeah, we're uh, we're well on our way to our our charity goals and uh, uh, a bunch of other stuff. I hope later today, or you know, we will see something from our, our Caleb 
Thanos, uh, Cable Thanos uh, showing up. So I like it. good stuff coming. Take care. Have a good one, Softy. All right, buddy. Be good, man. See ya. All right.